you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. I'm Kim Grenolch of Dogman.com with Scott Eklund. We are up at Starfire, the Starfire facility down at Willow over near South Center. Tracy Ford had a mock combine with the guys he's working out. We had a chance to see some of the former UW guys uh, that are getting ready for the NFL draft. Benning Patoa A. Um, we saw Jared Hilbert, Jared Hilbert, Savon Ahmed, Chico McClatcher, Trey um, Adams. Trey Adams uh, did not work out, but um, and Hunter Bryant and Hunter Bryant, and good to see some of these guys. So we had a chance to talk to all of these guys and some interesting podcasts and uh, interviews coming up lately. But uh, you know, Tracy's built himself quite the business over the last few years, Scott. Yeah, um, you know the the guys. He's getting a reputation for a lot of guys. There's a kid from Missouri here. There was a kid from like, Syracuse. Syracuse. There was a kid from San Diego State. So there's a lot of kids starting to come in and be be a part of what Tracy has going here. They've got great facilities up at his his uh, place there in South Bellevue, and um, you know they're just they're building that reputation. Yeah, and what's um, interesting too is just. You know, I had a talk with Tracy because Tracy was, of course, one of the guys from Bellevue High School. I said, can you, because back when Tracy was playing, you know, and um, all the other guys, Miles Jack and um, J.R. Hasty and E.J. Savannah, I said, can you imagine back in the day having a facility like this that you could have gone to? Because back then you pretty much practiced on your own and you worked out on your own or maybe with your high school team, but... Tracy takes this thing to a whole different level. Yeah, he does, and gets guys together. The, the top guys, they compete against each other in the weight room. They encourage each other. They talk about things. They share information, and they're getting a lot of coaching as far as what to expect. You know, As far as the combine is concerned, one of the things they've really coached them on is, hey, when you get in those interviews, they'll ask you anything. You know, they already kind of know what you can do on the football field, but they want to see what your personality is like. So they'll ask you anything. There are some pretty crazy questions that they're asking these guys, and they want to see how they're going to react. And so that's one thing that, that what Tracy does helps to prepare these guys for what they're going to see. And I think the biggest thing that he does is, you know, when we're part of a network like we are, for a long time we were pretty much doing this on our own and having to figure out everything on our own, you know. But then we start, uh, you know, networking and talking to people who were doing the same thing with us. And the growth curve, you know, and the learning curve was just off the charts. And that's one of the things that gives these high school kids a chance to be around guys that have the same goals, guys that are doing the same thing, guys that have been there, and their learning curve is just dramatically different, and we're starting to see that really pay off with a lot of the local athletes. That, and they're also around a lot of now pro athletes, guys who aren't just trying to get to the pros, they're established pros. Um, Bobby Wagner is involved in the in in working out there a lot. Richard Sherman was there a lot. KJ Wright. KJ Wright. Um, there's some other Seahawks that work there. I know Caleb McGarry, when he comes back home, he'll do some work up, up there as well. So 
Um, yeah, a lot of great stuff. And people like Garen Hatchett, who basically has lived down here over the past uh, year and a half, he's been able to get out and work, do some work with some guys. And because of the offense he plays in up at Ferndale, he isn't used to pass protection and all these different things. But he gets to come down here, work out with guys, not only coaches that will show him how to do stuff, but he'll get down here and get some pro tips from guys like Caleb McGarry, guys like Trey Adams, guys like uh, Corey Fuavai, who isn't a player, but he's he did play at the collegiate level and things like that. Yeah, and another chance to see a lot of the high school guys where we're dealing today with the guys going into the NFL. Tuesday we'll have a chance up at Ford Sports. You'll have a lot of the high school guys doing uh, all kinds of stuff, and we'll have a chance to talk to some of the top high school you know uh, recruits in the state as mm-hmm. well. So looking forward to that. But you know, taking a look at what we saw here today, what jumped out at you, Scott? Um, I, I think one of the big things was just, you know, I guess stuff like this doesn't wow me from the standpoint that I, I get blown away by what I see. What what really is the, the most fun part for me is talking to the people on the side, but then sitting down and talking to guys like Benning Potowai, who I've known since he was an eighth grader, Savan, who I've known since he was an eighth grader, Chico McClatcher, who I've known since he was a ninth grader. You know, these are guys that I that I covered when they were in junior high and, and the early part of high school before they had ever taken a snap on a varsity football team in high school. So, um, you know, for Savan and I, I talked to him for a little bit, and you guys will see that a little bit later, uh, the interview and the and, and everything. But I basically said, it seems like just yesterday I was talking to Sean Tarantola, the coach at Juanita at the time, asking about this incoming eighth grader that they have coming in. And, and he's like, yeah, he goes, it's just so hard to believe that it's been seven years, you know, and, and the progress he's made. And he had some real interesting things to say about playing in the, in the game because he hadn't decided at that point in the bowl game, hadn't decided at that point whether he should go uh, declare for the NFL draft or not. So he said he wanted, it was his goal to finish everything off right. And um, he said, that was a decision I made for me, Hunter and, um, Hunter Bryant and Trey Adams had to make the decision for themselves and what they were going to do. But he said, for me, I wanted to play and send Coach Pete out on a win. Yeah, and it was interesting talking to Hunter, too, you know, about, you know, the decision to, you know, play in the bowl game, you know, uh, not to play in the bowl game and, you know, what that came down to. And the other thing that was kind of interesting talking to Hunter Bryant, you know, is because everybody calls him a tight end, but, uh, you know, he's kind of a tight end, wide receiver, and he brought up the word fullback, not me, but that's what's expected from a lot of these guys and that versatility where you're able to do multiple things. You stay on the field longer, which is going to make you more valuable. If you can be in there as a wide receiver, if you can be in there as a tight end, and you can be in there as a fullback, you're going to see a lot more snaps. I know I know that um, this is we've kind of come full circle. You remember how they started to – remember Tom Rathman and, and some of those guys that were the lead blockers for these great backs and – Everybody kind of knew those guys, right? Um, who, who's the guy who blocked for Emmett Smith? The, he's a broadcaster now, uh, Daryl Johnston. Yeah. And, you know, um, they had Max Strong. They had a lot, you know, for Sean Alexander and all that different stuff. All these great fullbacks. And then all of a sudden, they're all gone. You don't see them anymore because you're going one back offense, you're going spread and all this different stuff. Well, guess what? Fullback is now the quote unquote hot position right now because, like you've been saying, Kim, it's not just lining up in the backfield. It's 
maybe splitting a guy out outside um, as a wide receiver in the slot, or or maybe putting him on as a as a wing on the on the end of the offensive line, or maybe he is going and playing some tight end. All the, there's doing all these different things. The more versatile you are as a player, the better chance you're going to have to stick with a team. But a guy like I, when I look at Hunter Bryant, I see a Chris Cooley, a guy who played for the Washington Redskins for many years, had a really good career with them, found his niche, found, and I think Hunter Bryant has a place in today's NFL offenses. He's just got to find the right situation. But you could say that about pretty much every player. As long as they find the right situation, he can be successful. I think that's what we're looking at with Hunter Bryant. And I think the most, uh, in, you know, interesting thing with Hunter Bryant is going to be when he runs through the medical. You know how, how you know they poke and prod everything on your body, and they will go through Hunter, you know, with a fine tooth comb. So uh, hopefully he comes up medically clear and the knee is sound and uh, the rest of them. But uh, bright future ahead for Hunter Bryant. Absolutely. There's no reason to think that he can't go out and be successful when he gets to the NFL. He will find a spot. Like I said, it needs to be about the right fit and everything like that. But could could you see him being a playmaker in an offense like the New Orleans Saints oh, yeah. offense or or um, even San Francisco 49ers. I know a lot of Seahawks fans aren't going to want to hear that, but he would be a great fit in those. He'd probably be a good fit in Washington or in the Seahawks uh, offense because of the way, the different things he can do. My only concern with Hunter has been um, that he might be maxed out physically because he's been so ripped for so long right. in his life. But, um, you know, as long as he finds finds that little niche, he could have a nice you know, seven to ten year career in the NFL. It's kind of funny, you know, they didn't want us reporting on times here because, you know, they're not done with their training and getting ready for this stuff and they're in the middle of it. But, uh, you know, I was kind of joking with a couple of time, a couple of guys because, you know, we're not going to report any times, but uh, the 40s were a little bit slower than we anticipated. I think, I think Tracy Ford, I don't think it was a 40. I think it was a 43. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I honestly thought just from watching him, I thought Hunter looked faster than his recorded time and um, I thought he actually looked uh, pretty good in the way he was running. Joined by Chris Fetters who just got done talking to Tracy Ford. He found us kind of isolated up here in the corner. What'd you get from Tracy? Here. What'd you get from Tracy? Great stuff. I'll have it up Friday afternoon. Uh, we talked about all six of the guys that uh, he's training. Four of them participated today. Benning, Potawai, and Trey Adams didn't. But uh, he'll have his thoughts on on all those guys, and it was good stuff. Yeah, it was about good. fifteen minutes. It's good to see some of the guys. You know, it's like I told Hunter Bryant, you missed us. He goes, he did. Hunter was one of the ones who actually didn't mind talking to the media. Yeah. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for The Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. So it was good to see Simmons him. Simmons he liked it. Yeah, just, uh, you know, moving on to the recruiting front, Scott. You know, uh, Jabez Tanay, the uh, wide receiver from Kennedy, uh, got an offer on Thursday night from UW, put it out on his Twitter page. Um, a little surprised. Um, I, I think I'm surprised that he got offered as a wide receiver. 
and maybe not as an athlete who can come in and who could go and play because he could be a really good safety because he's kind of got that tough mentality and everything like that. But I think Washington likes the toughness and wants to get that toughness out of the slot. That's one of the reasons why they're bringing in Cam, uh, Sawyer Racanelli. And I think Jabez Sine could eventually be that guy. He's the most polished of all of the Kennedy wide receivers. And he, he put up bigger numbers than Junior Alexander did um, as a uh, freshman and junior. And then this past year, he suffered some injuries. I think he had a little bit of a knee injury, he had an ankle injury. He didn't play in, in like four or five games last year. And, and so Junior kind of took over during that time and put up big numbers. Justin Baker benefited from that as, as well. He ended up being able to show enough to get taken by Cal as a, as a scholarship athlete. So, um, you know, Jabez Tanay, Washington's only going to take two or three wide receivers in this class. I thought they could have waited on Jabez Tanay a little bit, but maybe they would like to get him in the boat a little bit faster and start this ball rolling on some of these local guys. People will look at Jabez and they will look at um, Junior Alexander. Tell people the difference between those two. Jabez is smaller. Jabez isn't quite as explosive from an athleticism standpoint. Um, he might be a little faster than Junior, but not. it's not markedly that much more. Um, the, the thing with, about Jabez is he might be topped out a little bit more. I don't want to say topped out because he's, he's got room to grow and get better as a receiver, but I think his ceiling isn't quite as high as maybe uh, Junior Alexander's is, who I think could be a really, really special player at the next level. Just real quick to the Kennedy roster, you got Sam Heward, you got Jabez. I don't know if it's Jabez or Jabez. Jabez. I've heard both. Yeah. Uh, Junior Alexander, is there anybody else on that Kennedy roster that we need to keep an eye on? Um, there's some younger guys. Um, I, I don't know all of them off the top of my head, but I've met quite a few of them. and uh, They actually have um, some good uh, linemen as well, um, some younger linemen that are coming up that they're pretty excited about. But at this point, Right now, that in this class, the 2021 class, those are the ones that you really need to know about. The, those are the main guys. Also, UW going a little bit wider on their net, uh, throwing out some, shouldn't say throwing out, but making some offers to some guys that from a little further away. Yeah, um, so last night, they, I don't know if you remember the name, Chris, but it's a kid from Maryland that got offered. He's an edge guy. Um, is it Damian Robinson? Da- da- yeah, Damian something. Yeah. Damian Robinson, something like that, um, got offered by Washington. Um, they've also offered a, a wide receiver out in North Carolina. They offered an offensive lineman out of Pennsylvania. They've got a kid, TJ Bowlers, out of Iowa who has an offer. And I counted it up. I did a story on this the other day. There is 15 offers out to kids in Texas. And so that makes, I think it's 22 with this new guy, tw- either 21 or 22 guys out of 59 offers that, are, that have been recorded so far. And it, so if you think about it, that's more than 33% more than a third of their offers that are out right now are outside of the normal Pac-12 footprint. Where's that coming from? Is that coming from the influence from John Donovan? Or? Well, I think, I think the offers to the kids, the kid in Pennsylvania, the kids in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and North Carolina were maybe some, he had some contacts over there and reached out and found out about some kids that are, were worth offering. But obviously, he, he hasn't been involved in recruiting in what, five years, four years at least four yeah. years, because he's he was at Jacksonville for four yeah, years. Yeah, so he hasn't been on the recruiting game for like four years. So I don't think it's going to be kids that he knew about or anything like that. I think it was more of the contacts at the school. I was going to say the only Coach. thing that you can hope for is that 
the, the coaches at the high schools yeah, know stayed him. the same. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that's one of the reasons why you see it. But I think a big reason why, and we talked about this on the message board, is the participation levels out in the West are much less for football than it is for Texas East. There's a lot more. The participation levels have either stayed the same or gone up. Texas East and for Texas or for west of Texas, the participation levels for football have gone down. That doesn't mean it's really impacting the guys in high schools now, but you're talking about guys who the, the Pac 12 has to expand their recruiting tentacles. Otherwise, they're going to get left in the dust. Yeah, because California is the main recruiting area for every team in the Pac 12, and if they're Participation is going down. Yeah. Then that means less talent well, for everybody. And Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, they're all coming into California. So it isn't just the Pac-12 schools battling for these California kids. It's everybody. And part of that is because schools have really increased their recruiting budgets. They've also got the Internet. You've got FaceTime. You've got Skype. Where kids aren't as – kids in the South – and maybe east of the Mississippi think that the West is another country, but kids in the West seem a lot more mobile. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. A lot more willing to go. I want to temper it a little bit, but if people are thinking that Washington is going to become a national recruiting power, I just don't see that. Um, You've got to cast a net around your strengths, and the strength is still going to be Washington, um, California, Utah, Nevada, and delve into Texas. And if they're going to recruit guys from... Um, you know, the East Coast or down South, they're going to have to have some type of connection here in Seattle, like a relative here or lived here or something like that. Because if you start spreading yourself too thin and you're ignoring where you can put the time into Utah, Nevada, California, Texas, you're going to be so much better off spending your resources there than you are start going up and down the East Coast unless there's a dynamic reason for a kid to be interested in I'm Seattle. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think in, th- in in practice, you're probably right. You're not going to see Washington become Oregon where they're offering kids all over the place or USC who has that reach because it's USC. Washington isn't going to be like that. They are going to pick and choose their spots, and they've got 16, 15 offers out to kids in Texas. Yeah. That That has gone up over the past five years when we saw maybe four or five offers out, and then it got to six or seven offers. Washington, to me, and I know people don't want to hear Washington compared to Oregon, but Washington, to me, is is where Oregon was 10 years ago when they were starting to make offers out to these kids in other parts of the country where they didn't normally recruit. I don't think this will necessarily pay dividends this year. It'll start to pay dividends five, six, seven years from now because the coaches have started to get these relationships with kids and started to make Washington more of a national brand. They're never going to offer a ton of kids outside of the Pac-12 footprint, but they are going to have to start expanding it just a little bit more 
in order to their their base a little bit more in order to be able to do it. Because the number one reason a kid chooses a school you know, location. It, is location and close to family. I don't, I don't yeah. think location is as much. Location still is probably number one. The number one A though is relationships with the coaches. Yeah. What what I was going to say is that Clemson has shown that you can go outside your national footprint if you're playing, you know, at a certain level. If you're winning national championships. You can be a, a, a smaller school in South Carolina and show that you can get a Joe Nada, you can get a DJ Buanga Lalele, the, the, mm-hmm. the kid from Bosco. Um, you know, you can go out and get these kind of guys. With Washington, even if they were winning a national championship in the next three or four years, it's still going to be very difficult for one reason and one reason only, and that's academics. They are actually at a different level academically than any of the other schools that you're dealing with outside of probably Notre Dame and, and Michigan to a certain and extent. And people are going to argue that Washington still recruits to the Pac-12 or the NCAA minimums, which is true. No, they do. But because of the academics and the academic board, just because a kid qualifies under NCAA minimums doesn't mean that Washington will still be able to take Well, they it. also, what they're trying to do is they, first of all, they're not going to load up on minimum kids. Mm-hmm. Because they know that the, the, those kids will, more often than not, they won't succeed. Mm-hmm. And they want to put them in a position to succeed. And that's the biggest thing. So they'll, they'll track their academics, and then you look at maybe a guy like an Azeem Victor or even going back to the day with like an a, a, a Anthony Kelly or someone like that. You know, there are kids out there that if they show the development and they're serious about it, the, Washington will go to bat for kids. They have done it in the past. It's not, not been a problem. But they just will not load up on these borderline kids academically and think that it will float because it just it never has. Well, it's like Coach Pete said, it's not fair to bring in a kid who can't handle the academics. Right. It's not fair to either side. Right. And then you take a look at what happened with Quad A Green on the basketball team this yeah. year. That's going to make it's going it to make even, it harder. It's going to make it even more difficult. So um, you know, it's just they're not going to do that. And you know, like somebody brought up that uh, you know when you take a look at these schools that are taking in you know a lot of JC guys and they're really taking kids in from transfer the transfer portal. portal you take a look at the schools that are really active in that they're not the higher academic standard schools they're mm-hmm. just not you're not seeing Notre Dame Michigan Washington Stanford UCLA you're not seeing them that active because their academic standards are higher mm-hmm. you're seeing schools like you know Oregon and Oregon State and, and ASU you know the schools in this conference that can't handle it are Kansas Kansas State and schools like that that are going to be active in that but that's just not going to be Washington and like it or not that's just the way it's it is. It's reality. And it's not going to change. And, you know, I, and I, I talked to Jen Cohen a little bit about this, about, you know, getting, um, you know, some of the grad transfers in and working with Upper Campus. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, initiative from Upper Campus to uh, lower the academic standards for the football team. You know, you're just not going to get a lot of traction. And why should there be? There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be, you know, because, like you said, you know, you're, you're trying to sell a program and you're recruiting to the culture and you start recruiting guys that you're telling the guys that you have one thing, but then you're going out and getting another guy that doesn't meet the culture and the standards that they were expected to uphold, you're going to lose the team. So uh, any other updates in recruiting we need to go over, Scott? Uh, Not a ton. It's still the dead period. I think it's until March 1st when then kids can start actually coming to the campus and meeting with the coaches because right now kids are not allowed to do that. Um, I think that was, uh, and that's new, 
Um, and then we get into spring ball, and it's, you know, spring ball starts at the, it, we just found out when the pro day was, right? It sounds like it's going to be 31st. Really almost the day before. It's the 31st, yeah. which is Tuesday. 30th is Monday. So um, so we'll have to see when the exact start of spring ball is. But I thought it was on the 30th. So what, whatever it is, anyway, one way or the other, it's going to be all tied in there. So Yeah, it's going to be basically that week is going to be you got pro day, and then right on top of it you've got first day of spring camp right after it. So Anything else we need to cover, Chris? Scott and I went over pretty much the combine no, I just I thought it was a good I thought it was a good uh, a good day overall. Uh, it was disappointing not to see Trey and, and Benny uh, participate. I I understand why they're Benny is a little tougher because he he won't be able to. He's got another six weeks before Washington's pro day. Whereas Trey, he's going to Indianapolis in like ten days. Mm-hmm. So you know I can see where if he's you know if he has any doubts or anything where he just wants to lay it out all on the line. In Indy, that's the place to do it, and and he understands. He's talked to Caleb McGarry, and he's talked to some other guys about how they're going to get pricked and prodded, and they're going to go through his medical history with a fine tooth comb and everything. And he feels real confident about it. He feels good about it. Talked to Tracy. He says there's you know he, there's nothing, there's no red flags on anything as far as that goes that would indicate that he's not ready to go. So um, it's 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 disappointing. He was going to play in the Senior Bowl, but got a little hamstring tweak right before which sidelined him, so that was a frustrating thing for him, I'm sure, as well. Um, you can just tell, though, he's itching to get out on the field. It's funny talking to Trey because he's huge. I mean, the guy's gigantic. He's six. He's got to be 6'8". If he's not, he's yeah. almost 6'8". But he's a real slow talker, and he's a real low talker. But he's really smart, and he always says something cool. Oh, no, he, you know, we were, uh, you know, talking about the, you know, the shock of, of Chris Peterson leaving and what they expect from Jimmy Lake and, he just said flat out, he goes, it was so much fun going up against Jimmy Lake's, you know, defense because they were so good and so aggressive and everything like that. And I can just tell that, you know, what he's, as a head coach, he's going to be really competitive. And because, he, he, you know, I always said, it, he's like, with Coach Pete, you could, sit, you could see his competitive side, but it came up in things like ping pong. Whereas with Jimmy Lake, it's like his competitive side comes out, like, in practice, like in a big way. And so I think that's where... You know, you even hear some things like the, the OTAs that they're going through right now are, you know, maybe a little bit more intense or more uh, more going on than maybe even last year. So you hear little things like that which really start to give you some idea and some context as to what Jimmy Lake's, a, a Jimmy Lake coach football team is going to be like. Anything else we need to go over, Scott? I think I'm good to go. Okay. Um, Tracy Ford event next week. We've got a basketball game coming up Saturday. Two more games next week. And uh, we got the Pac-12 tournament down the road that I will be at. So uh, hopefully we can turn the basketball team around a little bit. So uh, for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs>